Welcome to Mavsplain, where we break down a question, event, trend, or news item every single day. My name is Mike Marshall from Mavs Digital. Today I am joined by Bobby Corella of Mavs Digital as well. And the topic of the day is big, large, grande ball handlers and why they are such a hot commodity in the NBA. You can call them whatever you want. I say wings because it gets a big group together, right, of, of guys that you say a wing, you kind of think the guy can handle the ball a little bit. There are some outliers there, but interested to see how you classify this group, Bobito. Um, I guess let's start out with why are they such a hot commodity right now in the league, and what, what, are, what do you think of whatever you think of a big ball handler? Well, Mike, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me on this episode. Uh, you know, I always feel like whenever you have me on here, it means that a really good episode is about to happen. Bring out the big guns when you get Bobby on here. No? You're shaking your head? All right, well, I guess we'll uh, edit edit that one out. Um, so, big ball handlers, like you said, wings. I mean, generally, we were talking for a little bit before this, and like generally your your average point guard size is getting a little taller, like Jaws, 6'3", 6'4", and he's even like on the on the short end. Um, Lonzo Ball, like six five six six. You know, uh, Zach Levine handling the ball a lot more. He's six five six six. But what we're talking about is wings. Luca, LeBron, Giannis, James Harden, guys that are six 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 seven six eight and up. Beefy guys, strong guys. Uh, ben Simmons is another example. You know, he's he's six ten six eleven. He's kind of on the extreme end of things, but. You know what? What you're looking at now in the NBA is the 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 point of attack on the offensive end is either being shared between a point guard and a wing, a traditional point guard. You know your Chris Paul, Kemba Walker, six foot guys, um, or just shifted completely. The burden of responsibility shifted completely to these bigger players, and so uh, and, and and that has kind of led. Maybe it started with LeBron. Maybe it started with somebody else, um, but. Typically, I think what you're going to find if you look at NBA history is that as one guy becomes really good at something, every other team is trying to copycat and saying, okay, LeBron has won like four MVPs and he's won a bunch of championships. Who are some guys uh, that can kind of imitate what he's doing? Why is it working? What works with these players? You know, what what types of guys work with LeBron? Uh, Where can we find ours? And if we can find one, then uh, how are we going to win with him? And so uh, you've seen in the last five years or so, James Harden really take a leap forward. Giannis has really emerged. Luka came in the league uh, last season and is now probably going to be first-team All-NBA caliber player. Even Kawhi, who is a little more of like a throwback, one-on-one scorer, he's much more like someone like Kobe or MJ, say. But he still runs a lot of pick-and-rolls. And so kind of, kind of that got me to thinking, like, why is this happening? When did it start happening and all that stuff? And uh you know, all of these really good players are making plays now. They're not just scoring, and that makes them so much more difficult to defend and I think, in my opinion, also much easier to build around. I think a big part of this is you, you hit on it is the pick-and-roll ball handler aspect of it where everyone grows up running it now. So even if you are a six eight through 6'10", dude, if you're a larger guy, you can still have that pick-and-roll ball handler instinct, right? because you run it so much, and it's not that complicated. I mean, it is a play that no one has been able to stop throughout the history of the NBA if you run it properly, but it's pretty much three decisions, right? And there can be some some wrinkles that build off of it. But um, 
the beginning of this, it's almost like if Magic Johnson wasn't so good, people might have tried to replicate Magic Johnson at some point. But because he was such a freak with his size and his vision, and like he did everything that's you want out of a basketball player besides shoot the three ball well. But because he was just this anomaly, no one tried to replicate it for a long time. And it didn't change the game. And it took such a, it was just like this lag, like you said, like the copycat kind of style that happens in the league of, oh, well, what is this guy doing? Like what? He's six six and he's handling the ball like half half the time of the game. Like oh, let's draft Shea uh, Gilgis Alexander in the in the lottery because I think at some point he could get to that and he has that kind of size. Yeah, he's and, a point guard, but he's what six six and yeah, he's got he's a, a seven dude. seven plus wingspan. I mean Frank Nilakina. I mean most of these point guards that are being taken in the lottery the last really. I mean since I don't know. I mean Kyrie was like six one, and really almost every almost every point guard since then has been taller. You know, yeah. Steph is on the short end, and he's like six three. Mm-hmm. So it's I, I find it fascinating whenever this um, this need for a specific position comes up because the game is like outpaced the roster pool, right? Or we found this new thing that uh, everybody's going to try. I'm gonna you know I'm gonna roll the dice on five different wings and five straight straight drafts and hope that one of them can be my secondary ball handler or get something out of it. So. What's the what's the history of you know quote unquote desirable pieces? Um, where did it where did it start? What was the first one that everyone was going after, um, and how has it kind of evolved through you know the modern NBA? I guess since the three point line has been uh, been a part of our game. Yeah, so I mean, starting with the present, the three point line has changed everything. So now you want as much space as possible. But if you dial the clock back even ten years, but especially like into the fifties and sixties. The original objective of basketball was to get the ball as close to the basket as possible before you shoot because shooting percentages were like in the 30s back in the day. And uh, so you wanted big guys. You wanted to post up. And and that started with like George Mikan. You can draw a straight line from George Mikan to like Wilt and Bill Russell and Kareem. And uh, that takes us right into, you know, the, the late 70s, Bill Walton. Um, and then in the into the 80s when the game kind of changed a little bit. But really for the first 30, 40 years of the NBA, it was a big man's league. The guard's job was to bring the ball up the floor, push the tempo if possible, but give it to the big guy and let him post up and just see what happens. Uh, because you're, you're not going to get a better shot than a layup or than a little you know jump hook or anything like that. And so most of the time, if you had a really good big man, you were going to be a good team. And generally speaking, if you didn't have a big man, then you weren't going to win the championship at all, um, maybe even make the playoffs. And so that was kind of the thing. You wanted a dominant center for really – I mean, that, that still hasn't changed necessarily. You want a big center, but the big man was like the focal point of your entire team back in the day watching the the last dance a couple days ago and Kerr was talking about how crazy it was to go to those UCLA games and they showed some footage of those old school John Wooden Bill Walton teams and every play they showed the offense would you know get into the past the half court and start initiating their offense and it seemed like the entire goal was to get to a point where they could make a good entry pass yeah to a guy that had somebody sealed already and he could just kind of turn around and just like tipped the ball in and I was like that's what offense was <laughs> it was yeah. like how do I get to this entry pass try and create a good passing angle you know I mean you you guys were not now there were some exceptions and like even someone like Sam Jones who played you know in the 50s in the 60s with the Celtics he was a great jump shooter but 
you know, there were guys who would come off screens to shoot, but for the most part, you'd come off a screen to get like a clean passing angle to the block. You know, you're trying to create havoc so that you can get a layup. And, uh, you know, teams still want layups now, but the jump shot has kind of revolutionized the way that we play. Uh, but anyway, you know, y- y- Bill Russell and Wilt ran their course, and then Kareem came in the NBA and, you know, was dominating for a little while too. And then the 80s came along. Right at the end of uh, 79, 80 was Magic's rookie season, and then Larry Bird came in the NBA, and all of a sudden, you know, the league had this big influx of perimeter talent. Now, there were always good guards, you know, Oscar Robertson and, you know, Tiny Archibald, and, you know, all these point guards were great for a long time, but when you get Bird and Magic and then, like, Dominique and Michael Jordan and Clyde Drexler, all of a sudden you're starting to get a lot more guys on the perimeter who can make a play and who can score and who could shoot a little bit. And the NBA added the three-point line, so all of a sudden there was a little bit more space. Um, and, you know, there, there was a little more talent in the league, and so all of a sudden, you know, teams were starting to shoot a little more. So you wanted better guys on the perimeter. Um, and and the, the pace was still fast. It was slower than it was in, like, the 60s whenever games were just, like, sprint up and down the floor and just shoot, like, the first open shot you get. Um but, you know, the ball started moving a little more, and now there was still a lot more posting up. Like, the Celtics, they had Larry Bird, but they also had Kevin McHale and Robert Parrish. So, uh, and the Lakers with Magic had Kareem. Uh, you know, Portland tried to replicate that by getting Sam Bowie. Uh, Hakeem Olajuwon was fantastic, too. So, I mean, the 80s still had their share of big men, but we started seeing um, as the talent level increased and then also as kind of like the marketing chops increased to the NBA, you wanted some skill you wanted you wanted fancy stuff for highlight tapes for national tv for your viewing audience and that's what we saw that in the last dance that's what made jordan so uh have such appeal is that his game was beautiful to watch it was a lot of fun to watch larry was the same way magic was the same way and so you have all of these really talented players everybody wanted those and then of course whenever they started winning all the championships then all right we need someone that can do what bird does we need someone that can do what mike does and especially with jordan as we got into the 90s, everybody wanted like this big guard, right? This big, like rugged guard that can attack the paint and, you know, take guys one on one and either settle for a jump shot or drive the lane. Jordan, uh, Drexler, which leads us like into, into Kobe Bryant um, and takes us more to the modern era. I mean, the 90s was dominated by these scoring guards and like Allen Iverson was a little undersized, but generally speaking, um, you wanted guys that could make plays, you know? Uh, so the game started getting like a little taller and through it all, I mean, in the nineties, you know, Charles Barkley was still awesome. Carl Malone, Patrick Ewing. I mean, there were still a lot of post players. Um, but you know, isolation scoring was kind of a big deal. And then the handshake rules were lifted and suddenly the game became much more perimeter based, almost exclusively perimeter based. The post up started fading really quickly, uh, started becoming much more pick and roll spread, pick and roll. Even the Spurs started running some spread stuff. Uh, you know, the run and gun sons, Dirk and the Mavs, um, every team, like the best team started playing this more like high, high pace, high energy, much more ball movement, much more three point shooting. Um, and so you wanted good point guards. I mean, every team had a point guard that needed to be able to make plays. You guys like Chris Paul, Darren Williams, um, and LeBron came along too. And he was kind of the anomaly at first, but everyone would try and play catch up later. You needed guys that could spread the floor, that could make plays, that could shoot, that could create their shot. And suddenly a point guard's job in a, in the course of 10 or 15 years shifted from get the ball to the big man to now 
come off a screen looking to score first and pass second. And that fundamentally changed the NBA. And then, you know, Dirk came along, and all of a sudden everybody wanted a unicorn. And guys like KP, Carl Towns, Anthony Davis, uh, Jokic, all of these centers that can shoot threes, handle the ball a little bit, make plays, score. Uh, they had the range, uh, inside, outside, everything. That was like the thing. But then you had, like we were talking about, you know, it takes us back to, to today. Giannis, Harden, LeBron, Kawhi, Luka, big-bodied guys who are just like point guards in that they can make all the plays, but they're even bigger so that they can drive the lane and finish over the big guys. Uh, they have the height to pass over double teams. They can see angles that other guys can't, and that just kind of fundamentally changes the geometry of the floor in such a way that it really re requires the defense to make these like crazy adjustments to stop you, and that is what the league can't figure out right now. It's almost like unicorns had their moment, but their their time is like gone now. You know, we're already on to the next thing, and the next thing is Luca. Luca is the thing. So that's kind of a that's a very very long winded way of saying the game got really big. It started really big, and then it got a little smaller, and now it's getting bigger again. I wonder if they knew what they were doing whenever they or knew what it could grow into whenever they threw the three-point line in there. It feels like they were just kind of – it just sounded fun. It just it sounded a like gimmick, a cool. Man. It just sounded like a cool idea to throw into the game. They're like, well, if you shoot it from over there, it's worth three. And they didn't really understand that at some point in time, a smart individual would look at this and go, so you're telling me this shot's worth three, that one's worth two? Why don't we just get good at that three and just outmath everyone, right? Game of gamify the actual like point production that happens um, inside of this this athletic contest because if you're six seven, say you have a kid, he's fifteen, he he ends up being six seven. He's a huge he's a huge dude. I think I honestly think right now if he's got you know a plus wingspan, which I don't know what is considered like plus plus, like you know Shea probably has like a seven foot wingspan. That's like plus six inches, right? Um, it's easier for that kind of kid to learn ball handling and pick and roll decision making than it is for them to learn touch around the basket. Because if you think about it, you have to hit, um, you have to hit an insane amount of post-ups to make it worth the same value that just an average three-point team is at this point. Like you have to be so efficient on the block um, to outpace what a what an NBA offense does now, which is shoot. You know the low the fewest right now is probably what twenties low twenties uh, per game, and the Mavs will get up to forty occasionally um, whenever they get get cooking. But I just think it's easier to take a six foot seven kid and say work on your ball handling for three hours. Then work on throwing in the block and let some defender just beat the crap out of you and try and finish, you know, with the touch. And so that skill set just went out. It's almost like offensive linemen in the NFL, right? The the spread offense didn't come out of nowhere. The spread offense came because these little schools in Texas and these little colleges didn't have big enough offensive linemen to pass protect that long. And so instead of looking for these three hundred and fifty pound guys that could, you know, sumo wrestle you for seven seconds. They look for these little quick linemen that could get out on screens, that could get out and block downfield. And that's, it's just kind of the evolution, the natural progression. Um, necessity is the mother of invention, right? If you look at your tools in your box and you, and you, and there's only one that works, 
but you need five that work, then molding what you want your game and what you want your offense, defense, all facets of your basketball team to look like, it's smarter to go, well, I got four that look like this. I got one that looks like this. Should I try and chase another one? Or should I try and make all five of these work? And to me, that's fascinating whenever the league starts shifting like this. Because even talking about some of the 2011 stuff, the league wasn't like this. It just wasn't. Like in the finals and those playoffs, the Lakers were shooting max 10 threes a game. They didn't have a three-point specialist necessarily. We had Peja, Jet, um, you know, go down the list of dudes that we had that could fill it up from three. And it just kind of, it evolved that way. But I think if you're a taller dude, it's easier for you to learn ball handling as long as you have some kind of dexterity skill. When the rules have enabled it to where you don't have to be the quickest guy ever to get in the lane anymore, um, there's more space. Guys can't touch you or bump you or anything. You know, there's no Jordan rules. You can't hand check anybody as the, as they're driving the lane. And so if you're a bigger guy that's strong enough to fend off legal contact and that's tall enough to finish over taller players that can contest your shot, then why wouldn't you give it to them? I mean, that just gives you an advantage. Now, I mean, passing is not easy. Floor vision is not easy. None of those things are easy. Uh, but, I mean, if you can pass and you can handle the ball a little bit, then you're like you're kind of cheating yourself if you're relying exclusively on a guy who's six foot or six I think six you can one. learn those things, though. I think those are like teachable or at least coachable yeah. and repetition-based, right? Like, I feel like touch around the basket – Dude, if your shoulders aren't built a certain way, if you don't have wide shoulders and they just aren't set like where you can curl the ball and put the proper kind of spin on it, you're just never going to be that good at it. It's just never going to come. And some people just have it like that. And then some people can be forced to play post for their entire career and they just never get good at it. Yeah, but NBA players are usually good enough when they're like 12 or 13 to where everybody knows like yeah that guy is uh he's gonna be pretty good and unless you're you know a super duper ultra freak whenever you're 12 or 13 even if you're gonna become six eight eight one day you're still like six foot i mean you're you're like mm-hmm. so if you're coordinated enough um you're still gonna be bigger than your opponents but you're not gonna be so big to where like you can't do like your your body is just like not able to develop the right way or anything and so Mm -hmm. uh if if you have that high level of athleticism then your aau coach your high school coach or whatever is gonna be like yeah just you be the point guard like why would i rely on somebody else to give you the ball uh don't post up you're still big you know you're still bigger than most of your teammates but you're still talent i mean you're talented so i'm gonna give you the ball you can be the point guard instead of being the center so that way you can just make all the decisions so you it's have these like guys. You put your best player at quarterback, right? Yeah, Even if yeah, he's not yeah, the exactly. best thrower, or you put your best athlete at shortstop. Like every everybody in the major in major league baseball, they were the shortstop mm-hmm. on their like junior high and freshman uh, baseball team. I think almost every NBA player was probably the point guard on their junior high basketball team. Mm. Yeah, like the the Scottie Pippen thing. You know, he he grew a lot, which helped him, but. Uh, you know, he was kind of like a, a famous example of this guy played point guard on his college team. And so that helped him get ready for the NBA. David Robinson was the same way. He played guard. So he had guard skills and, you know, guard like footwork. Well, now almost everybody has guard like footwork and guard like skills. I mean, there are very few NBA players now, even like the big lumbering big men that can't handle the ball. Like Boban is the biggest player in the NBA and he's an excellent passer. 
Now he's yeah. kind of a maybe an exception because he played in Europe and and you know kind of the development of guys is a little different over there. But so many players have skill now that it's you, there's no like oh my god he's the guy that he played point guard in college that's crazy like almost everybody does now you know everybody no. plays point guard on their AAU team like you said so uh, whenever there's that much skill you're just going to give it to your best player and your best mm-hmm. player if he happens to be six foot eight is like that's just a bonus yeah and I feel like it always comes from like the lower levels and grows up where in AAU I feel like we had a real bad problem probably late um, 2000s where all these dudes could do is like run and dunk and block shots and they were just like super active. Um, I mean, you know the bigs that came in the league and were like, within two years, you're like, yeah, that ain't it. And then everyone realized it. To everyone's credit in the lower levels, they realized like what Kentucky was doing might win you a national championship with just being hyperactive all the time and doing one specific thing on offense. And then if I can't do it, let the point guard, a little dude create a shot. Um, specifically talking about bigs, like those dudes would come out and they would like shoot the ball in the wrong side of their face or in the, in front of their eye or something, you know, and it just didn't make any sense to me. And I know that was a natural progression of what the AAU coach had done before that. Cause you have them for a year. You can't teach a kid how to shoot in a year. You can't teach a kid how to run a pick and roll in a year. So you take what the AAU teams were doing, which is just run, be hyperactive, set this pick, roll to the basket as hard as you can. And the bigs didn't have this this skill set. And the first one that kind of changed everything for me was probably Cat. It was Carl Anthony Towns because he was an AAU kid like to his core. But he also had this skill set where he was good enough at knocking down threes and ball handling where they just let him do whatever he wanted. And he was so freaking good in college, man. Oh my dude, god. He's one of the most unique athletes that exists, like honestly, for that size. Like he's I always watching him, I'm just like in awe. Um and he was one of the first ones where I was like, Okay, they're letting these kids do what they're good at instead of Oh, a cat, you're you're seven foot and you can shoot forty percent from three. I don't care. Just run up and down the court, be super active on defense and set pick and rolls. Like that's that's your job. Um and it took a while. It did. We It made the league a worse place for a little bit because every big that came out was an AAU-style big, and they never, ever like acclimated to what the NBA needs, which is the current big. And we've evolved a little bit to it, but um, that's, that's something I thought about that entire time. I'm like, dude, if this kid played AAU growing up and he went to a one-year school, he's going to come out and, man... I'll see you on your second contract because you're not going to be good to start out. But luckily we've shifted away. Now we got KP, we got Cat, we got even dudes that you consider traditional bigs like Whiteside or dudes like that can still do a little bit of everything and are allowed to do a little bit of everything. Um, But it makes the game so much more fun. It makes the game 10 times as pretty. Um, And these dudes come out and they have a chance. And they the way out immediately. everybody criticizes NBA defense nowadays, like your your average Twitter fan will say, nobody defends anymore. Well, that's it's not true. Everybody defends. These guys are working extremely hard on defense, arguably harder than in any other era because it's so much running. Like mm-hmm. it might not be as as uh, much exertion like on your on your muscles or your bones, uh, mm-hmm. but your lungs are taking a beating every night because you are sprinting to cover like forty feet 
in one second to close out the shot, and then you better be able to you know defend against the drive too. And that was one of the – Rick talked about this a couple years ago. Uh, somebody asked him about – I think it was more about three-point shooting or something and illegal defense and stuff. And he basically said that the thought behind uh, lifting the illegal defense rules, which basically illegal defense was you either had to defend your man or you had to hard double. You couldn't, like, guard a, a spot on the floor. There was no zoning. There was no soft zoning or anything like that. When the NBA got rid of that, the proponents of that rule change wanted it for the reason of if if you allow players to defend a spot instead of a player, it's going to make it impossible for teams to hide guys who can't shoot. So if you're a six foot four guy and you're just a really good defender and you guard the other team's Michael or the other team's Kobe or something, well, if your guy doesn't have to guard you and instead can you know shade pretty heavily toward the lane or in some cases even literally inside the lane just standing 30 feet away from you, well, then you're going to be such an anchor weighing down your team because you're playing five on four all the time. And so for the first 10 or 15 years of this rule change, really up until the last few seasons, it was such that you were only punished if your guys one through three can't shoot. And then guys like Dirk came along and, you know, other, other power forwards came along and became good enough at shooting to where the ones who couldn't shoot also were weighing down your team. So now you needed guys one through four who could shoot. And now if you're a five man and you can't shoot, then you're almost like you better be really damn good at whatever it is that you can do. And so mm -hmm. I, I don't think that that consequence of the rule change was ever really thought of. Like, I don't think they designed the uh, the, the new way teams could defend to force seven footers to be able to shoot threes, but that's where we are. No matter how big you are, if you can't shoot, then it's going to be really tough for you to get on the floor unless you're really, really good defensively, really good around the basket. Um, like Hassan Whiteside, for example, uh, he's still a starting caliber big man, but he better block a lot of shots, get a lot of rebounds. He better be really good around the basket. He's got to create possessions. Yeah. He's got to create his team's possessions extra possessions to make up for his inability to play outside of the paint offensively. Hmm. And we watch, we watch Luke every night and we see he gets in the lane and sometimes it's like, why is nobody there? I'm like, this, he's not like the quickest dude in the court. He's got good quicks and he's like deceptively fast with his first couple steps. But I'm just like, how did nobody get over there? And then I realized KP's 30 feet out there dragging the big out there. Right. And so if you, if you're a big, if you technically play five, um, and you can't operate outside of the paint on the offensive end, whatever it is, even if you're, it, you, there's different ways to do it. You can set screens, you can, you know, get in the rebounding spot, get in the dunker spot, kind of creep in there. But if you're the only way you can contribute offensively is standing in the paint, you are clogging the lane now because pick and roll is how the game is played. And if you're clogging the lane, you're a problem and you better do something crazy like block four shots a game or rebound the ball 20 times a game to create other possessions. Otherwise, you are a non-winning piece. If all you can do is roll in the pick and roll, then you're hurting yeah. the team too because they can just go under yeah. every time. I mean, we, yeah. we see this all the time. Guys will just sag way off. That's the way the Lakers defend if they don't respect you as a shooter. They'll just commit illegal defense. They'll play you know three seconds in the lane every single time. The officials mm -hmm. just get tired of calling it. I mean, it's like they're breaking yeah. the rules because they don't respect you, but it's just that's how the game is played. And so if you can shoot, if you're a big guy who can shoot, that frees up your big ball handlers, your James Hardens, your Lucas, your Giannis. Giannis, not a good three-point shooter. Even Luca at this point in his career, still in the low 30s. 
but these guys are so adept at attacking players off the dribble, they can beat almost anybody one-on-one because they have the size. They have enough quickness. They're not the quickest guys ever, but at six foot eight, six foot ten, however tall these guys are, they have enough quickness to get around their opponent who cannot touch them. Their, the mm-hmm. rules dictate that you cannot touch Luca if he's attacking you. And uh, so they're yeah, you can't stop his dribble at all because yeah, if no. you put your hand down, they're they're swooping through, right? Mm-hmm. That's the thing. Like I watched the 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 last dance, and like Jordan finally got like a good foul call in the finals against the Jazz because he had he pump faked, like Hornacek jumped into him. He had to jump back into Hornacek, create the like collision to show you I'm getting hit as I'm shooting. But now it's like if your hand is down and you're like trying to stop my dribble, like I'm just swooping through. I'm just shooting. That's how this is going to work. I'm going to get two shots and I'm a pretty good free throw shooter and let's do this. Let's do this for a while and see how you like it. But um, the the final thing I wanted to ask you in this evolution of where the league is chasing, kind of chasing his own own tail and kind of chasing the player pool and the the lower levels kind of dictate what rises up at some point. But what's the next big thing? What's 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 coming? Um, I guess positional wise or skill set wise, and the combination. What are we looking for now? I'm curious to hear what you think about this too. But um, there aren't enough big ball handlers yet. Uh, like the league hasn't caught up to that trend yet. You know, there's there's four, five, six, eight guys. Um, eventually, there's going to be fifteen. And that's whenever everyone is going to start zagging, right? Like, why would you want mm-hmm. to fit in? Like, you know, teams chase their tail whenever Shaq was winning championships. Like, the Mavs went out and signed Eric Dampier to guard Shaq and to guard Tim Duncan. Um, and then by the time you get these guys, you're already on to the next thing, you know? Um, why not lean all the way into Dirk? Why why sign a big man? Like, let's go skill ball. So teams are eventually going to catch up to the big ball handlers thing, and that's when the next thing is going to take off. And in my opinion, the next big development – in the NBA is instead of Luca being the ball handler, what if KP is the ball handler? I mean, what if you're able to get a seven foot guy, a seven foot two guy who's quick enough to make plays off the bounce all the time. And like in terms of human physics, I'm not sure that it's possible, but I also don't think anybody would have thought there'd ever be somebody like LeBron. You know, you watch you watch what MJ did to these guys in the 80s. I mean, add 50 pounds to MJ and you have LeBron. I mean, nobody would have ever been able to conceptualize that that would be possible. And so with the combination of athletic improvements, medical improvements, technological improvements, I think it's possible for really, really big guys to be super quick. And if that is going to be uh, the next big thing, then... I, like, why wouldn't you do that? Why would you give the ball to Luca? Why wouldn't you give the ball to KP? I mean, if if he's seven foot two and can take a guy off the dribble, give it to him every time because no one can stop him. Um, or e- either that, or I think uh, every player on the floor is going to have to be at least like six seven, six eight. Uh, Jonathan Charks from the Ringer is also a really good friend of mine. Um, not that is not a flex. It's just introducing him weird flex okay yeah no it's just introducing him uh he's been saying for a really really long time that like six foot guys are going to go extinct one day and i i think that's a little ridiculous because like there are guys that are six foot six foot one six foot two that just have quickness that you can't teach um and then also dame is like dame is only six two maybe six three i don't know how tall he is but if you can shoot from 40 feet then you can play um so 
either everybody's going to be six foot eight or super duper duper tall guys are going to be handling the ball, or there's going to be a lot more Dames and Trey Youngs that can pull up from forty uh, to where like defense is almost going to be impossible. You're going to have to be guarding mm-hmm. guys at half court, and that will just totally. I mean, they'll have to change the rules at that point because if everybody has the type of range in 10 or 15 years that Dame does now, then I don't see how you could ever even – like, you can't even compete at that point. It's just Mm – it really is just who makes more shots. So uh, there's a few different directions that could go. Not a very good answer to your question. Um, It's always hard to think of the next big thing, but I don't know. What do you think is the next big thing? I think something we're already kind of seeing, and I don't – the Mavs kind of – it's our bread and butter at this point or our best play. It's it's a big, big pick and roll, right? So a dude that's six seven plus with another dude that's six seven plus setting screens for each other. And the hell that raises on your defense is just especially if it's a dude like Luca or a dude like Giannis or, you know, all the big ball handlers we've been talking about. I think that's like a natural one that's coming. Um the the other area I can't quite figure out, but I think there's an evolution that's about to happen is how NBA teams build their benches because there are still these guys that are like way outdated. Their software is way outdated for playing 30 plus minutes a night, but they still live on NBA benches because second units in NBA, a lot of them are just like, I don't know, go out there and score. Like it's a lot of just like, go get buckets. Like a lot of guys like, Bazemore talked about this, how he likes coming off the off the bench because it's kind of like just just go score. I can be the lead of this of this group, and it's kind of turns back into you know 2005 basketball. Um, a lot of it is still pick and roll, but it's just not the math equation that it's not the ice cream headache that Luca and KP cause you, right? Um, so I don't know if those guys just get phased out or. I don't know the adjustment quite yet. I just realize there's a problem, right? I realize there's this weird issue of, of a completely different brand of basketball happens when second units roll out there. Hasn't and, it kind of always been that way, though? Or or maybe maybe not. Maybe because in the 90s and even in the 80s, your best players were playing 40 minutes a game. Mm-hmm. Now your best players are playing like 33. So there's more. Yeah. There's a lot more time for these guys to fill. So mm-hmm. maybe maybe yeah. we're just noticing that. Yeah, I mean, I think it has always been like that. I just don't think we're going to have those players left. You know what I mean? Like, I just don't think there's going to be Jamal Crawford in the league anymore. There's not going to be a Baysmore. There's not going to be dudes that can go out there and get you, you know, 12 points in eight minutes. I think they're all going to be like such system players that play within a pick and roll or play within, you know, I'm good at running drag. Like, that's what I do. If you send me out there with two other dudes that can't run drag, like, you know what's going to happen. Um, you know, JJ Barreas are going to get phased out. Um, these don't say that. Unit, <laughs> I mean, like five years. These these little like kings of the second unit. Like, I don't think they're going to exist in a couple of years because your entire bench is going to be dudes that have come up in the last five to seven years. And I mean, what's the last? Malik Monk might be the last dude that was drafted that I was like, oh, that's a six man. That is a six man scoring machine. Like your right? classic microwave type of player yeah Yeah, i just don't think those guys are going to exist so you're gonna have to start either staggering heavily where you like trickle in one guy at a time with different units and just give guys little phases where they sit out of games or 
you're going to have to start running way more plays um, with your second units. And, I mean, I think J.J. and Dwight, I mean, I don't know how many of those guys, those tandems exist anymore because your bench is just going to be a bunch of six, seven wings that you drafted hoping they would project into something. And now they're just these system players. And I do think, I do think it, I agree with Sharks' take of at some point it's, your point guard's six seven, your two guards six eight, your three is six nine, and your power forward and center is six ten. And nobody, you know, and that's how the roster is put together. I'm looking forward to a team at some point. I don't think I made it this year. I think people still kind of rolled out what you would consider a a five, a center. Um and maybe maybe I'm the the chicken and the egg situation here where I'm chasing my own tail where it's like Whatever teams roll out at five, we kind of mold the definition into that. But I think at some point, pretty soon, maybe next year, some team's going to be like, I'm just not paying a center. I'm just not doing it. I'm not spending $25 million on player X. I just don't want that. And the Warriors um, kind of did that, but they're a unique yeah. case because they have right. you know, bazillion Hall of Famers. But I think at some point, maybe next season, someone's just going to roll out a lineup that just doesn't have a guy that averages five or six rebounds or more. They just don't. They're just not playing a dude that's over six nine. The Rockets and, are kind of doing that. Yeah, the Rockets try it, are trying it, and we'll see how successful they are, right? And if it kills P.J. Tucker or not. Um, they're, the, they're the extreme view of, like, this is our last chance. Like, let's try something weird. What happens when that happens on the front end? When a team's just like, I'm not... Paying a center, this is how we're playing basketball. Like, what's the next thing of the Rockets, right? Like, what is, you know, there's so many good centers now, and they're so skilled, and they get max contracts. A lot of them, you know, I don't know if their market value would say that you're worth this this max deal this coming off season, you know. Um, and some teams it's going to be like, nope, not happening. I'm not playing a dude that's over six nine and can't shoot. And just just not happen. I'd rather roll out another another wing. And you're going to get this weird lineup that is going to look like Houston's because it's going to be young and they're going to be fast and they're not going to have James Harden. And I want to see how that works. Yeah, the solution be awesome. The solution to that problem is, uh, I don't know if you remember that night in January when the Mavs went to Houston and uh, Luka missed that game. The Mavs were down like 20. They made this huge comeback. They actually, I think the game was tied or they were within one at one point. Anyway, KP just annihilated Houston yeah. that night. And so the the cheat code will be well if if everybody's doing that do you have a big guy that's still able to like not only keep up with those smaller players but also punish them um mm-hmm. and if you can then you'll win i also yep. think too this question kind of hinges on uh what are the rules going to look like um yep. i kind of hinted th- to that already but like i really think that at some point here we might change the rules um may or may not happen but uh I mean that that really could be something that, like, what if what if the Pelicans just play Zion at center, right? I think they should they just, probably right. Well, I mean they got um, they have Hayes they have favors, yeah, Jackson Hayes, and so they kind of already invested in another center. But if a team was just like, we don't roster a guy that's over six nine, like we just don't see a use for it. Um, sorry, Stephen Adams. Sorry, Andre Drummond. Sorry, Whiteside. Sorry, your your old traditional bigs. We're just not doing it. Um, I think that'd be fascinating. Like if the Pacers just played Sabonis at center or something like that. Like, 
I mean, they do. You know, they go they go Sabonis Turner. Even the Mavs. I mean, mm. KP is very tall, but Maxi is not anybody's definition of like a traditional center. And it's funny, Dwight Powell is now like a he's like considered a traditional center. When probably like two years ago, he'd be like, "Wow, this guy's a freak." You know, like nobody. Yeah. Whenever Brandon Wright was doing what Dwight Powell is doing now, mm. nobody thought he was a traditional center. Brandon Wright was like yep. an exception to the rule, but now Dwight Powell is like, yeah, he's like your prototypical NBA big man, which is really weird yep. how quickly that changed. I mean, that's like a two or three year thing. Yeah, um, so, the, so the Rockets are trying it right now out of necessity because they traded away their center, right? And they this is like their last, one of their last chances with this core. Um, Boston also is like kind of start whoever at center. Um, so when does it jump from start whoever at center to I'm not playing a center? I'm not playing a guy that stands in the lane at all. Because that's the next evolution, right? These these And the reason I feel so strongly about this is because the top 12, 15 centers in the league all make about max money. And... The market is just laughing at you at this point. Well, I don't know. I mean, I think that you would like. There are limitations with. I mean, even even somebody. I, well, I don't. know. I mean, we haven't seen it, but KP hasn't played a full season at center, and so we don't know if 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 he could or like Joel Embiid has kind of limitations because of like his health. But then, you know, I, I think more importantly, him and Simmons together, there's not enough shooting, right? Mm-hmm. But like somebody like Towns has only made the playoffs one time, but I don't know if that's if that's like because of the way that he plays. I mean, I right. I don't know. It's like you're you're kind of like, what is the issue? What is the uh what what mm-hmm. is like the 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 cause of this these shortcomings? Well, um, there's like eight eight centers that are just unicorn style, right? That I think can do anything if that you ask them to do. And then there's 22 teams that don't have one. Yeah. So what do those 22 teams do? Do they say, yeah, I'm going to pay $30 million for this guy that doesn't really fit into what my overall philosophy is? Or, you know what? I think I'm pretty good. I'm going to start my backup power forward that shoots a lot. Yeah, or I mean just the the, the price tag or the demand for your tr- very, very traditional big men will just dissipate to the point where, you know, there there's yeah. not enough money or, or there's not I mean, enough money. I mean, it happened to Dwight pay. Howard, like, so quick, right? Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, his career kind of took a swerve um, once the first Lakers stint didn't work. But, I mean, there's a lot of dudes like that where I'm looking at him going, man, I love your game, think you're an incredible basketball player, but, dude, you're getting max money and you're kind of a fish out of water right now. Yeah. In the present, what's going to be interesting is, like, this draft, for example, I don't think anybody really considers this draft to be, like, an all-time good draft, but all of the all of the top players in this draft are very tall. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there are a lot of guards, a lot of ball handlers, but, like, LaMelo Ball is, like, six foot six. Most yeah. of these guys in this class, Tyrese Halliburton, uh, I think even Killian Hayes is pretty tall, too. Um, these are all, like, kind of new generation point guards. And so every team is going to be trying to get one of these guys. They're going to be the new center where I wonder if if the it really does get bigger, then does – Luka is too good for this, but at some point are we going to reach the point where a six foot eight ball handler who's just very good, like 
does he not give you anything new? Is is he just like another yep. guy now? Yep. He, he's a six foot eight guy that can run a pick and roll at an excellent level. He's just kind of an average player. Like right yeah. now, that's like that is the cheat code right now. That's the shortcut to the playoffs. But mm. in five years, that could just be like, yeah, I mean, you know, he's fine, whatever. We kind of got to that point with wings, right? Where we thought like, okay, just draft as many wings as possible. And then you get one and it turns out to be like an average NBA player. And you're just like, yeah, Tony Snell just kind of exists out there. Like he's bounced around quite a bit. Like any, no one's like over the moon to add him and he's like a fine wing yeah, he's good you know? he's a good player and so yeah no I, I agree there might be so many of them and it's because we like do these like hard crashes left and then hard crashes right and just kind of find the thing that everyone says is the thing and then uh we just draft them in the top 15 for four years straight yeah for a while it was i want three or four or five three and d wings but in the last year or two, it's changed to why would I want my wing to be three and D? Why wouldn't I just want mm-hmm. my wing to be my point guard? Yeah, yeah, and that that's that changes the way you build your team completely. Yeah. That's the next move, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, cool, man. Yeah, that this was, a was fun this is fun. It's fun to like, you know, talk about basketball uh, nerdy stuff. Don't do that yeah. enough anymore. Wait, if we don't get enough time to do it, but uh, yeah, I think as soon as like and what the rumors about what happened to the salary cap this off season where it, where it might shrink a little bit that might make some teams make some hard decisions and i think the first easy decision to make is going my center's not making my traditional old school anchor put your butt in the paint get 10 rebounds a game center that guy ain't worth 25 million a year it's going to so be so i'm happy man. rolling out this thing if it really does go down if it uh, it's going to be strange it's going to be strange yeah. so there's well, going to be at, you, there's going to be a lot more to think about this summer than normal. Oh, yeah. And you're going to be – I mean, the number one thing that pops in my head is you're going to be asking this little dude that's not used to it to set hard screens <laughs> over yeah. and over. Dorian. And do it, Dwight. Yeah. Our five, Dwight man, dude. Every yeah. team is rolling out Dorian at the five. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I'm ready for it. Yeah, but, uh, heck yeah. Sweet, man. That was a fun episode. Thanks for, uh, thanks for your time, brother. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate you, Mike. All right, be good. And uh, everybody check out – the rest of our Mavsplained episodes, wherever you get your fine audio products and podcasts around the internet. has been doing some great work. Um, there's almost an episode on everything that you could possibly think of. So go check out Mavsplained if you haven't heard the other episodes thus far. And thank you for listening. Thank you.